0: All right. Come on, man. How you guys doing? Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, and happy Palm Sunday. Yeah. Some of you are like, what's Palm Sunday? I didn't know today was Palm Sunday. Well, hey, for those of you that don't know what Palm Sunday is, this is the Sunday where we celebrate Jesus' final arrival into Jerusalem leading up to his death and his resurrection. And there's so much significance on what took place that day. And if I could, just for a moment, um, just briefly at least share a little bit with you and give you a little bit of insight for those of you that may not know exactly what Palm Sunday is so that you too can celebrate with a greater understanding of it. But Palm Sunday was the day that Jesus' followers, they celebrated his entrance into Jerusalem. Now, it was a day of celebration, but it was also a day where a lot of the crowd, they didn't fully understand what was going on. They thought that they were welcoming a, a military hero, one who was going to overthrow the Roman government in Jerusalem through power and might. The scripture says that the people, they threw down their coats, They threw down their palm branches, kind of like if you think about a celebrity today, whenever it rose out the red carpet, right? That was the red carpet of of 2,000 years ago. And the scripture says that as a symbolic act, they did that, and they shouted this, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, this word Hosanna in the Greek, it means please save us. And the people, they were quoting from the book of Psalms, chapter 118, verses 25 and 26, which says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the thing is, Jesus was coming to save them. It was just in a different way than they thought. I think this is a good point to highlight how that God still works in that manner and in our time and in our life today. And what I mean by that is we bring our requests before the Lord and the Lord always answers prayers. It's just that he doesn't always answer them in the way that we expect him to. Someone came up to me years ago and they said, I don't know why I pray. God doesn't ever answer my prayers. And to that I said, of course he did. You just didn't like his answer. (laughs) Friends, I can tell you something about God. God always, always has your good in mind. But somehow we think that we know better than God what God should do in our life. But I want you to just take this thought to mind. If you would, it's found in Romans 8. You've likely heard it before, but it's Romans 8, 32. And it says, He who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Listen, if God hasn't given you the thing that you've prayed for yet, it's because of one or two reasons. One is because it's not the right time yet. And I know you've heard me say this before, but the right thing at the wrong time is still the what? Wrong thing. And timing matters to God. Heck, even the world understands that, right? That timing is everything. And so perhaps that thing that you've asked of God, it hasn't happened yet because there's something that he's doing before he brings about that thing in your life. And by the way, you're not alone whenever you find yourself asking something of God and it hasn't happened yet. Matter of fact, and I've mentioned this to you before, but the most asked question in the whole Bible is, how long, O Lord? Did you know that? I don't know if that gives you any comfort. <laughs> but at least it should give you some confirmation to know that you're not alone. How many of you guys are currently asking God for something that has not happened yet. Just raise your hand. Look, I'm raising both hands, right? Because I know in my life that there are multiple things that I'm asking for. But see, culture has created an environment to where we're not very good at being patient. See, the Bible says that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And here's the thing about fruit. You will never see a fruit. Factory. Like you'll see a computer factory. You'll see a car factory, but not a fruit factory. Fruit is found on an orchard. And fruit takes time to grow. It's not something that you can manufacture. And so, because patience is a fruit of the Spirit, it's going to take some time. Now you may ask, well, how long? Well, Some of that depends upon you. It depends upon how well you wait. Do you complain whatever things hasn't happened in your life that you've asked God for? Or are you giving thanks to God in advance by faith, believing that even though that thing hasn't came your way, you're thanking Him that it is going to come your way. But then there's the other part that depends upon God. And this is the part that I feel like some of you guys need to really catch on to. You can be doing all of the right things. Hear me. But still, there's a work that God wants to do in your life and in the lives of others around you. Because other times, we've got to understand that when God sees us, he sees us as individual, but he also sees us as a group, as a whole, as a family. And there may be something that God wants to do in the life of the person that you're married to or your kid or that you go to church with, right? And we've got to understand that His plan, it fits perfectly within his timetable. Now, I said there are two reasons that God hasn't given you the things that you've asked for. And the first one is because it wasn't time. But watch this. The second one is because the answer is no. Come on, parents. How many of you understand the concept of saying no to your children? Well, it's no different with God. There are things that we ask of God. And he's simply saying no. And the reason that he's saying no is because he knows what we don't. And because he's a good father. He's not going to grant our request for something that's going to be bad for us. That's why he says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. I know you got your plans and your blueprints of what you think is best. But I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for what? For good. God has good in mind for you and not for evil. And I know that we all want to understand why it is that God does the things that he does and why he does them differently than we do. But friends, that's where God is God and we're not. And so we've got to trust that he is who he says that he is and trust that when he tells us to wait or whenever he tells us no, That he's got our best in mind. How many of you can testify that there are some times that you've asked God of something, and he told you no, and now later on you're looking back and saying, thank you, Lord, that you said no. Come on, I know some of you guys are already thinking about a relationship that you're like, thank God I didn't marry that person, right? Yeah. And call that dodging a bullet, I think, right? (laughs) But understand this. God does have our best in mind. You need to believe that. You need to know that because it's absolutely true. God is not a man that he should lie. If he says something in his word, you can take it to the bank that it's true. And when he says, I know the plans that I have for you, it's plans for good. And understand, understanding that and catching that deep down in our spirit, this right here should give us some great comfort. I mean, when you find yourself at a place of completely trusting God, you'll find that there is a peace from God That surpasses understanding. A peace to where I don't have to know why or how because I trust who. Are you following with me, church? I'll say it again. The peace of God surpasses understanding, and I don't have to know why. I don't have to know how. I just know who. Amen? Well, there's your appetizer before we get into the meal. (laughs) Um, but hopefully this will kind of serve as a springboard uh, to cause you guys to dive into Palm Sunday. That's your homework assignment. I think a lot of Christians don't know. I think if I were to put that poll out there, most people would be like, Palm Sunday, yeah, Palm branches. Yeah, I know what that means, and that's about the extent of it. But there's a lot that God wants to teach us. I wanted to preach a whole message on this, but we're on this awesome series called Storytellers. Come on, somebody. You guys enjoying this? I've enjoyed sharing this. Man. It took a lot of pain and tears and blood and my head getting cut open and all kinds of crazy stuff to write this message, so um, I'm excited to share it with you guys, and I want to pick up where I left off last week, and, uh, and I promise that today I really am going to tie up my portion of uh, the Storytellers series. And last week, I believe I left off with sharing with you that Jody's biopsy of her tumor came back as benign praise God oh I'm gonna praise him I don't care if you do or not I'm gonna praise him because my wife's sitting there with no cancer so come on Jesus come on so when we found that out they scheduled her uh, surgery to be on January the 14th and the surgery was a success come on and Dr. Thomas was yeah Dr. Thomas was, thank you, Dr. Thomas. I know you're going to be watching this at some point. And um, man, uh, he removed every single bit of that tumor that was in her chest cavity. And again, uh, just praise God. Now, two days before she was to have her surgery, I had an MRI scheduled of my brain. And for those of you that may be new or ju- just joining us, um, I had been experiencing some neurological issues for quite some time I was forgetting things I was having seizures we thought that maybe they were TIAs you know like mini strokes I had difficulty with word finding I wasn't able to read quite literally was not able to read and all of these issues led to me stepping down from the pulpit Uh, For at least a couple of months and as I mentioned in previous messages I can't begin to tell you How hard that was I mean, I couldn't even read The bible to my daughter at night Which is what we do every single night with our our girls Uh, Not only that I couldn't even read the bible for myself And I wasn't able to have conversations with people because um, I wasn't able to comprehend what I was was hearing and I wasn't able to really respond at least not in any kind of in-depth or meaningful way right and so I just want to take a second to just share something on that note because man god has taught me so much through this you guys we never know you never know what it is that people around you is going through I mean, I'm telling you guys, I mean, we really, we really don't cause, because look, we've got pretty good at, at, at having, putting on our poker face, right? <laughs> I mean, we, some of y'all get that reference, <laughs> those of you that laugh, right? But we do, right? And, and, and so let me just say that while I hated going through what I had to go through, I am so thankful that God gave me a perspective uh, and, and how my he allowed my experience to teach my heart to be more compassionate and to, to recognize that everyone is hurting in one way or another. I mean, we're all experiencing hurt or pain in some form or fashion. And if you say that you're not, you better buckle your seatbelt. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. You know that word earnestly there? It means like like to do something about it, to to, to seek it out, not not just in the heart. Because understand, when we talk about being sympathetic toward people, that's good that you're sympathetic. But like God's called us to be compassionate. The word compassion means the sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together. With a desire to alleviate it. See, sympathy just means, aw, bless your little heart. But compassion does something about it. Compassion does like the good Samaritan, right, that gets in there and binds up the wounds. That doesn't mind getting blood on their hands. It doesn't mind even breaking a few rules because that's what the Samaritan did because the priest wouldn't touch him, right, and the Levite wouldn't touch him. But the Samaritan got in there and says, I don't even mind breaking this rule, right? So he got in there and did what was needed. So it says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. What would the church look like if we loved one another earnestly to the point to where we didn't talk about one another or judge one another? And say, well, did you see what she's wearing today? Well, can you believe what he did? Church. There's some things our mouth needs to never utter to another human being. Look, this is in in my notes right now, but I'm just telling you because I think this is one of the things that's holding us back as the body of Christ. We're not united. And because we're not united and, and we are divided, we're not seeing the Spirit of God being poured out. The Scripture says how blessed it is where men dwell together in unity. It says it's like the oil that was poured out on Aaron. It flowed down from his down into his robe it says there he commanded the blessing not just a blessing a blessing could be like hey here you go I'm gonna bless you you know and oh that's a blessing right you know what but the blessing anytime the scripture references the blessing it's talking about the outpouring of God's spirit but if we want the outpouring of God's spirit we got to be willing to be unified that means we've got to keep our mouths shut sometimes And if there's something that's on your heart in regards to something you see in someone else, and don't be pulling this. Look, we do this, I think this is in Southern Christianity, where we come and we say, did you hear about this? Did you hear about it? Yeah, we need to pray for them. As if God is cool with you going and talking about folk. He's not. The only time you should be talking about them is when you're talking about them to Him. Are you with me? That's for somebody. Because understand this, here's what love does. And this is what we're called to be, people. We we are called to love people by seeing the best in them. Not only that, but if someone wrongs you, love still demands that you continue to love them anyway. That we continue to be kind. That we continue to let our, our light shine regardless of what darkness they may bring. Hey, this is what we're called to, brothers and sisters, to shine the light of Jesus in a dark world. That means that we can't respond to them in the same way that they respond to us. And even if it's another believer that responds to you in an inappropriate way, you're not to respond that way. Because if you if you do, then you're fighting the battle on your own and good luck winning on your own. I would rather... Give it to the Lord and let him fight that battle. Let him work on the hearts of those people rather than me saying, hey, I'm going to take matters into my own hand. Because I'll tell you what, anytime you start something in the spirit and you think that you can finish it in the flesh, you're headed for failure. You're headed for disaster. So two days before Jody's surgery was scheduled, I got an MRI of my brain. And I don't know why I asked to do this. Maybe it was the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I feel like someone had maybe said this to me in years past to do this, but uh, I was getting the imaging work done, and I asked for them to burn the images. Does anyone else ever do that? I'm just curious. Anybody else? Yeah? Okay, so maybe it's just me. I I don't know why I asked them to do that, and they actually did it. Um, So I said, hey, can I get a copy of those images that you just made? And um, he went, and he did. And as I was waiting for those images to be burned, I saw a computer monitor right there. I was in his office, the radiologist's office, and I saw an image of someone's brain. And when I saw that image, no kidding, I thought to myself, wow, someone's brain's jacked up. (laughs) No kidding. I was looking at it thinking, wow, looks like there's a big hole through their brain or something. And then I looked at the top left of the screen, and it said Chris Tomlinson. So, uh, and here's the thing, I don't know how to read MRIs, but I got some good common sense, you know what I mean? I mean, I'm looking at it thinking, that that ain't normal, right? And uh, then I asked the radiologist if that was my image, to which he said, yes. And I asked, what the heck is that? Of course, referring to that large mass that was pressing up against my brain the size of a racquetball. And the radiologist just stared at me. Probably because he didn't know what to say, but he knew that eventually he had to say something. So he looked at me and said, that's above my pay grade. I left the imaging center. And at that time, um, Pastor Daniel was driving me all around town because um, I was unable to drive, folks. That's how difficult my situation had uh, become. And so I had Daniel drive me to the neurologist. And someone who used to come to Destiny actually worked there and was able to get me in to see the neurologist right away. And the neurologist, he looked at my images. I sent my images off uh, to her, and he was out looking at them, and he brought me back. And I told him, I said, hey, doc, thanks for you know, fitting me in. I said, I, I just saw my images, and what I saw kind of scared me. And he looked at me, and he said, yeah, um, that would have scared me too. Not very reassuring of what you want to hear from your doctor, um, but he pointed out that I had a, a large tumor, that the mass that I saw, it was a large tumor. Like I said, a very large one uh, at that. I asked, actually asked my neurosurgeon about how big it was. I said, I want to be able to give the people a very adequate um, picture of what it was, and, uh, and it's about the exact size of, of a racquetball. Now, a racquetball is about a quarter inch bigger than a baseball so it wasn't quite the size of a baseball it was a little bit but it's r- the size of a racquetball and um, I'll tell you um, w- w- when I saw that I, I said well doc w- what do you think it is and he says well it's probably cancer he didn't have good bedside manner <laughs> um, now keep in mind my wife had just been told that she may have cancer exactly to the day, three weeks prior. To the day, three weeks prior. And so we had just walked with our family, um, friends, our girls, and a lot of you in the church. We just walked through that. And it was just the day before that I find out that I have this tumor that we finally uh, found out that Jody's wasn't cancer but a benign tumor. Think about that for just a moment. Just found out, oh, praise God, this tumor that Jody has is not uh, cancer. And the very next day, we find out that I have a tumor in my brain, and the doctor's telling me that it's probably cancer. Let me ask you something. Have you ever overcome a battle, and right when you think that you've got time to rest from the victory of it, along comes an even bigger one? Anyone ever been there before? A good example of this can be found in the life of Joseph. And we're going to talk about Joseph. Actually, um, we'll probably pick up in two weeks uh, to talk about uh, his his life. I think it serves as a great example of some of the things that I believe God's wanting to highlight to us. And um, so I just want to maybe just for briefly uh, uh, highlight this portion of the story. But Joseph was sold as a slave by uh, his brothers because they were jealous of him but then joseph then ends up uh, being a servant uh, for potiphar where he became the right hand guy for potiphar and things were working out pretty good for potiphar so he gets sold off as a slave not good uh, but then all of a sudden this guy brings him into his house and then all of a sudden he's getting all kinds of of favor and people working underneath him so he's like okay all right things are, are going pretty good here but then all of a sudden joseph has an accusation made against him From potiphar's wife which lands joseph in the king's dungeon and he spends years there before god uses him in a mighty way now i'm not trying to compare my story to joseph's story other than to say there are lessons to be learned hear me when we're at the lowest point of our life i don't know how many of you are in a crowd this size i guarantee you there are a few don't miss the lessons listen open your eyes try to move beyond the emotion that you're feeling and hear what it is that god wants to teach you this is the toughest thing i ever went through in my life and i'll tell you what um i could easily do three or four series on all the things that god had taught me here but here's what i I, I've, i've learned that oftentimes when we overcome a battle there's even a bigger one on the horizon and what i want you to know is this god is well aware of everything even before you're aware of it the prophet isaiah says in isaiah 46 verse 10 i make known the end from the beginning from ancient times what is still to come i say my purpose will stand. Ooh, you need to hold on to that word because that's God speaking. He says, my purpose will stand. I just want to prophetically declare to someone this morning, not here in the notes, I'm telling you, I'm supposed to say this over someone. There's been words that's been spoken over your life and you said the enemy has lied to you, and and you've even believed that they're not going to come to pass, but the Lord says not one of my words will fall to the ground until it accomplishes everything that I set it forth to do. If that word's for you, grab on to it, sister. Grab on to it, brother. I know, I make known the end from the beginning from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all what I please. See, so many people, they want to write a conclusion to their story when God is still writing it. Hey, I've said this to you before, but don't put a period where God has put a comma. I know this is easier said than done. Trust me. (laughs) But as a matter of fact, one of the things that I'm grateful for is through all that God allowed me to go through and experience so that I can share with others from firsthand experience, that God is faithful. And church, I'm here to tell you, God is faithful. He's faithful. He will allow you to go through some storms in life. You will go through some storms in life. Even Peter says, Think it not strange, brothers and sisters, whenever you have fiery trials coming your way, for they will come. But understand this. The promise that he gives us is that he will never leave us alone. Like, if you will but trust Him, if you will but put your faith in Him, He will not allow the devil to have the final say in your life. I left the neurologist's office that day with a sense of peace. Why? Because I just saw God come through for my wife. This is one of the reasons we need to be storytellers, and we need to be telling people about the things that God has done in our life. Because that gives people, like a testimony, that, that, like the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so whenever we declare the good thing that God has done in someone else's life, that ignites faith to believe that God could do it for them. And so whenever I got that testimony, or got that um, report from the doctor, I had just watched a good report come from my wife. And so even though he's looking at me saying, hey, it's probably cancer, I'm thinking, I'm believing the report of the Lord. Are you hearing me? So the next time someone comes at you and they bring their report, you hold on to a higher report. Are you hearing me? I watched God do that great work in her life, and I reminded myself, God is no respecter of persons. And look, I'd already believe that because, i had read it in his word but now my belief had some experience behind it like i experienced god doing it for her so i knew that he could do it for me too and i trusted that he would Hmm, i'm going to pass this along and this is something that i found to be true resistance is often the hardest right before the breakthrough What I mean is the devil knows that your victory is right around the corner. And the closer that victory is, the harder he's going to come at you. But what's to be our response when opposition comes bearing down on us? I'll tell you what. We're to lift up a hallelujah. We sing our praises to God. We take our focus. Off of the wind and off of the waves. We take our our eyes off of the chains that are keeping us prison. We give no fear to the fiery furnace or to the den of lions that are surrounding us. And we sing a hallelujah. Church, praise is our weapon. I will tell you something. I've almost, I, the last two months, I've almost interrupted right in the manner of, of praise when I hear it almost dead quiet in here. Because you know what? We should be lifting up our voice, not because we feel like it, but because He is worthy of our praise. And friend, you may come into this place and not feel like praising God. All the more reason to praise Him. Because when you start lifting up the name of Jesus, guess what? Everything on heaven and on earth must bow at the name of Jesus. And if you start lifting up the name of Jesus, in your life. Watch depression break off of you. Watch joy start rising up in you. Watch your marriage get healed. Watch that forgiveness that you've been holding on to for 45 years be broken. Are you with me? That's prophetic for somebody. We've got to praise, and praise is our weapon, church. God showed me this picture last week. I saw an island right here, and I saw another one right here, and there was a great ravine that was impassable. But then I saw a bridge that was being built. This happened last week, and the Lord says, that bridge is your praise. It's what's going to get you from here to there, and there's no other way. Jesus says, I am the way. What do you think he's saying when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life? That he's just cognizantly understanding the theological aspects of God. And so if I can just go ahead and hermeneutically understand. No, you praise him. Even when you don't understand. And that's when the peace of God happens in our life. (laughs) Consequently, it's when freedom comes. Oh, it's so good to be free. Oh, it's so good to be free. Friends, you can be free. Oh, you can be free. You can be free from addiction. Mm, You could be free from having to turn to that alcohol. Why do you think you turn into it anyway? You don't have to drown your sorrows and your problems by turning to that. Brother, you could be free from looking at pornography. You can have a meaningful relationship in such a way that God has restored that sexual relations between you and your wife so that you don't desire pornography. How is that going to happen? How are you going to get free? By lifting up the name So church, I just got to tell you, I, I, I'm 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 learning on this leadership thing. God's teaching me a lot. But I'll tell you what, I don't care if I'm up here on this front row and I'm the loudest one and everyone thinks I'm crazy. That's okay. I'm free, and I'm gonna stay free. When we come into this place, we need to lift up the name of Jesus. We need to lift Him up higher. Yeah. Hey, look, I know you got problems. We all got problems. More the reason to be lifting up the name of Jesus. Are you with me? Praise is our weapon. It was the weapon in in the hands of Paul and Silas whenever they were praising him bound in chains during midnight. It was the weapon in the hands of Daniel whenever he found himself in, in, in a lion full or a den full of lions. It was the weapon in the hands of Joshua whenever he led the Israelites marching around Jericho's walls. And it's the exact same weapon that God has given you and me. Don't be like the eight of the ten spies that Moses sent out to go to the promised land who came back focused on what they couldn't do. Hey, if you say unto yourself that you can't do it, guess what? You're right. But God. I said, but God. With him, all things are possible. Listen, I'm going to encourage you guys to do something. Go home, pull out your concordance, and look up where the Bible says, and you can, you can search this on whatever Bible app you have, but look how many times the Bible says, but God, and see how God came through for his people time and time again. I want you to see one of the many reasons that I titled this series Storytellers. You see, God doesn't just redeem us for himself. He also redeems our stories for himself. You see, God wants your story to... He wants to use it in such a way that it intersects with his story, which is the greatest story of all time. I mean, man, it's going to be the the story that will have a heavenly encore throughout all of eternity. And watch this. Look at me. We get to be apart. Praise God. Let me shift back to telling what happened next came home after leaving the neurologist, and I shared with my family and my friends the information that we just got, and we prayed. And I know that you know this. I'm not asking if you know it. I'm asking if you do it. I mean, come on, we're already we come to church sometimes and we want all this hebrew okay y'all want me to give you a bunch of Shema, israel Adonai, Hanuel, and i Chadve, Ahata, Adonai. Y'all don't even know what i'm saying anyway i can quote you some greek and some hebrew and make you leave confused because it's something that's higher than we can talk about seven dispensations of men and oh no, no 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 we need to get down to basics we need to be like john wooden back in the 70s or ucla when he said gentlemen this is a basketball because this is what we do in the church we're already too educated for our level of obedience that time we prayed and we continually prayed and friends that needs to be our response anytime we're facing anything i hear people say well you know i've done all that i can do i guess i'm going to pray as if the prayer is the very last thing but yet oftentimes that ends up being the very last thing that we do as believers it needs to be the very first thing don't hop on Facebook and start spouting off stuff. Don't even call your BFF. Go to Jesus first. You may not even have to call to your BFF. You may decide, hmm, guess what? I don't need to make that Facebook post. I don't need to make a passive comment because I'm a keyboard warrior. And anyway, there's <laughs> a little pet peeve of mine, but we'll just move right along right there. But we prayed and we continue to pray at every corner. These are things that we we knew to be true because we've been students of his word, and we've walked through a few things in our lifetime, but you know what? We just kept turning back to God in prayer and prayer, and at every corner, we watched his hand move. Jody called uh, Matthew, Dr. Thomas, uh, and um, he probably thought Jody was just calling him because she was about ready to have surgery in two days that he was doing, um, he's the one who was doing the surgery. But she shared with him what we had just found out about me. And Matthew said this. He said, nothing has changed. God is faithful. And I got to tell you, thank you for that response, Matthew. Matthew's response taught me something. We need to be surrounding ourselves with people of faith. People who are going to believe for the best and not for The worst. And if you don't have those kind of people in your life, might I suggest you take an inventory of your friends list and make adjustments. Listen, I love all of God's children. But I don't surround myself with those that are always negative and that are constantly worrying about things and that believe that things can't be done. I just simply refuse to do it. And if I find myself in a situation to where I have to be around them, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to counteract their words by speaking words of life. Especially whenever it's another believer. I mean, it's one thing for the world to speak ignorance. Okay, that's what they do, right? So there's grace there. It's another for a believer. Dr. Thomas's words, they were such a huge encouragement to us and later on he said that he believed that I could have had as few as three months to live if something weren't done my neurosurgeon said that I had at the most a year yet even with the seriousness of that prognosis Dr. Thomas wasn't shaking and after praying and talking with him guess what neither were we Friends, you could be facing a death sentence for your spouse or for yourself or for a kid or some other terrible thing in your life, the loss of a job, whatever. But you can have peace in the midst of the storm. And the way we do it is by continuing. Peter walked on the water as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. It wasn't until he started looking at the wind and the waves. Take your eyes off the wind and the waves and watch you be able to do what you could never do. Because God's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. But guess what? It's according to the power which is at work within us. And you already have that dunamis power, that miracle working power on the inside. You've just got to trust God. You've got to trust the Spirit of God that's within you. It takes faith. I've said this to you before, but like, look, no one has a junior varsity Holy Ghost. There's no minor league Holy Ghost. The same Holy Ghost that filled the Apostle Paul, that that has filled me, and that has filled you, and that's filled your kid. We all have the Spirit of the Living God. we got the same dose of the Holy Ghost in our life. We've just got to trust and believe and have faith that He will do all that he said that he will do. Do you believe it? Amen, I like that response. That's good. I debated on whether I should share this next part. I asked my wife if it was okay so um but uh, And I say this because this is a good teaching point. It really is. Um, Not everyone was positive. Like most were. uh, But not everyone spoke life. Matter of fact, someone called me and told me uh, that God told them that I would have a disability. And that I wouldn't be able to get up here and stand preach, and speak to you like I'm doing right now. Well. Oh, don't worry. That person's not in this room. All right? So please don't be thinking, dear God, was it me? If you're in this room, I assure you that person is not in this room. They may see it on a video sometime a little later. And uh, guess what? I'm lifting up a hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that person will know who it is whenever they see it. <laughs> you know what? Thankfully, I had enough discernment here to recognize that it wasn't God. But watch this, and this is what's so important. But even in me knowing that, even in me knowing that, the enemy still tried to use that to play with my mind. Church, let me just share two things with you. If someone comes to you, and says that God tells them something about you before God shares it with you, you have reason to question what they're saying. I'm not saying that God won't operate that way. I'm just saying that God is a very personal God. And if I am seeking him with all of my heart, why would God have someone else tell me something Without first telling me. Now if I'm being rebellious. Or stubborn. Sure. But by far. The times that someone has said God told them something about me. It's been something that God has already told me. And that person is simply serving as a confirmation. But the second thing that I want to share. Is this. If you are going to speak a word over someone. And you're going to do something, and speak it rather in, in Jesus' name. It needs to be life-giving. Yes. Hey, we've got enough negative words from the world that we do not need negativity coming from the mouth of believers. Yes. It's his praise that should be on our lips, not negativity. Yes. Yes. Now, if you feel like you have a word, for someone now hear me because i believe that there will be times that god may speak that i've had it happen for me for others and others for me all right like if you feel like you have a word that is strong in nature or even perhaps correcting you better bathe that thing in prayer brother and might i even suggest fast before you deliver it the bible says that we will be held accountable For every idle word we speak. See, watch this. That word idle right here, it means free from labor. It also means lazy. And if you have a word that is corrective in nature, you better labor over that thing. Don't be lazy in giving words from God until you make sure that you are indeed speaking for God. Are you hearing me, church? So the Friday of Jody's surgery, I got her checked in, prayed with her, kissed her, and then I walked across the street with Laurie, and she was my mouth for me at that time because I wasn't speaking really well, and um, I met my neurologist for the first time or the neurosurgeon for the first time. I don't know if you just realized what I just said, but <laughs> I just dropped my wife off to have major surgery and then walked across the street to meet my surgeon not having a clue about what he was going to say. So the doctor he took a look at my images and he confirmed that I had a large tumor that needed to be removed. He actually had found something that uh, other doctors had missed. I had this tumor growing in my head ever since I was a child. As a matter of fact, getting that information uh, made a lot of sense because um, all throughout my life I've had seizures. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. They were nocturnal seizures. And um, I've taken medication for it ever since I found out about it. I think I was 17 years old the first time that it ever happened that I had the seizure. And um, I tried to explain to the doctor just how far uh, my life had spiraled and all the things that I I, um, couldn't do. As a matter of fact, I even struggled trying to explain it to him. I'm so grateful my friend was there because I was trying to explain. I thought, oh, my gosh, I can't even talk right now because I'd gotten to that place. I looked at Lurie at one point. I said, Lurie, tell him what's going on. <laughs> and she was my mouthpiece. Thank God for good friends. But um, after listening to me and, and Lurie and, and looking at the images, he said that he wanted to do surgery as soon as possible exactly one week from that day so jody had her surgery that friday and the following friday i had my surgery i went in for brain surgery and as i mentioned earlier jody's surgery was a success and so she was in her first week of recovery during my surgery oh one other thing that i've been like so excited to share with you guys i I wanted to share this like weeks ago on facebook uh, but i didn't do it because i wanted you guys to hear it first i'll probably it sometime this week, but I asked a couple of different people, um, some really, really smart folks, a whole lot smarter than me, uh, to do some calculations for me, and one of them is Dr. Jim Marabella. Now, Jim is uh, a member here at Destiny. Jim just happens to be in California uh, today. That's probably perfect because he probably doesn't like me, you know, maybe talking about him here in front of the church, but sorry, Jim. Um, So his wife's here. You can tell him. (laughs) But uh, Jim, I asked him. Um, to, and by the way, Jim is a tenured professor at Jacksonville University And he heads up the decision sciences department Like that's the part, for those you are like, what's that? That's like probability and statistics that, That's what he does, he, he teaches that Well, I had Dr. Marabella determine What would be the probability for a couple Both having a tumor at the same time And Jim, he sent me the calculation And he really labored over it, getting it to be accurate And he sent me an email, and when I read that email, I'll tell you what, I was blown away. I know that all the doctors kept saying to me, they had never heard of anything like this. But now we found what the true number was to it. He told me that the probability of a couple having a tumor at the same time was less than one in a billion. He said, I'll put my name to it. (laughs) And he also told me, he says, you would have been three times more likely to win the Powerball on your first try. (laughs) For some reason, I tell people that story, and they keep saying, did you go buy one? (laughs) No, I I didn't. Maybe I should. I don't know. (laughs) Now, why did I share that with you? I share that with you because I found that in life, it's easy for us to ask, why me? And oftentimes we get this feeling as if we're the only ones who's going through something. Hey, I get it. Try being the one in the billion and grapple with the thought, why me? (laughs) But again, when we ask the question, why, we're asking the wrong question. Because the question isn't, why, but rather, who? Who's going to get me through this? And the only person. Who can get you through to the other side is Jesus. You see, I don't have to know why when I know who. Whenever my neurosurgeon told me that all that he was going to have to do, I never once asked him why. Because I understood that I knew nothing about neurosurgery. I didn't need to know why because I trusted that he knew why. Kind of like whenever your air conditioner goes out in your car and you don't really care why. You just want to go to the mechanic and say, hey, uh, I need you to fix this and take care of it, right? Watch this. If we can trust people who make mistakes, then how much more can we trust God? I mean, oftentimes we require more answers from God than we do our mechanic. Are you with me? Psalm 18 and verse 30 says, This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. By the way, because this is a really cool part of the story that I just wanted to share with you. um, When they did the surgery on my brain, I was awake the entire time. I'm not sure if you can um, imagine this in your mind. How many of you know what a Dremel is? You know, that's the little machine where you cut and stuff, right? So, yeah. So as they were drilling the burr hole in my skull, it kind of sounded like a Dremel. Some of you all like I could do without that visual, right? And some of you are like, give me more, give me more. Just go to my Facebook page, all right? I assure you, you'll you'll see my, uh, some pictures that has a warning label graphic there, um, but you'll you'll like it. It's pretty cool It's pretty cool. <laughs> But um, my surgery was a success. Praise God. It was a success. Thank you for your prayers also. Thank you so much. So many of you were praying for me, and, and I just, I'm just i so grateful, so grateful for your prayers, so grateful for the words of encouragement. The words of encouragement far exceeded the couple numbskulls that spoke death, all right? And so thank you. Um, I love my church, but they removed the tumor and found out 10 days uh, later that from the biopsy that was benign and by the way just this past Monday I did my follow up it's supposed to be the 3 month follow up but I was just just shy a little bit of 3 months and they did another MRI just to make sure that all's well all's well all's good yeah, church yeah. come on come on And here's the thing whenever I got that biopsy back I remember what I was when I was driving man I just I tell you I think the whole neighborhood could hear me even though I was in my car and the windows were up uh, yeah. Dr. Chachana called and said that it was benign. And here's the awesome thing, man. That was the second time that I had heard that report in a matter of a couple of weeks. The second time that I had someone tell me, oh, it's benign, whenever someone else said that it was cancer. And so if it seems and you're wondering why, man, this guy's a little fired up, it's because I've got a lot to be fired up over. So I mentioned last week, a story is but just a moment in time, and so my story is just that. God's still writing my story, too. I just got to share one little bit in time of it, but God did an amazing work in both Jody and my life. Um, He called us to be that uh, one in a billion and then declared that our story isn't over. And friends, look at me. Your story isn't over either. No matter what has been written in the past, God has the ability not only to continue your story, but also to rewrite it. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. God is continually doing a new work in our life if we will allow him if we'll be, be, be faithful to, to, to trust him because he will be faithful to, be, to finish all that he has began. Now, here's what I want to close this morning. I'm going to close with just sharing this last thought. It's often through our greatest deliverance that we experience our greatest pain. You know, before I went into this surgery, I did a, a little bit of researching Uh, To learn about craniotomies, and I found that a craniotomy is considered one of the most painful surgeries. Well, I can testify that that is absolutely true. (laughs) Um, For the first few weeks, I felt pain that I didn't even know was possible. Honestly, there were many times that my whole body would shake with pain. And honestly, I don't know how I kept from uh, just passing out. Actually, I kind of wished that I would pass out so that I wouldn't be feeling the pain, right? Because I would have been out. But looking back, I found that it was during my time of greatest need that God gave his greatest supply. And his greatest supply is always, always Jody can testify to this, but one night I was lying on the couch and I was shaking uncontrollably because of the pain. On a 10 scale, there were many, many nights. Alan stayed with me Um, that first night. I was on a nine and a half and would just be put in bed and just would be shaking. And I was a nine and a half. I say a 10 because a 10, I'm considering that knocked out, (laughs) right? Because there's so much pain. But I was a nine and a half uh, constantly. And one night in particular, I was on the couch and I was just shaken because of the pain uncontrollably. But as I was shaking, I started praying in the spirit. Actually, because I was shaken, it somehow made it easier to pray in the spirit. Um, not sure how or why, I don't get it, but um, it did. And as I continued to pray, God's peace landed on me in a way that I could never possibly give adequate commentary to. You know what it reminds me of? As I try to think about, man, how do I even describe this? I thought of the old hymn, He Touched Me. He touched me. Oh, He touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. I don't know what. I know who. Something happened, and now I know that he touched me, made me whole. I've mentioned this to you guys a couple times already, but each and every one of you already has a story, and God's still writing your story. But watch this. Listen to me, church. I pray if you get anything out of this series, God wants you to be a storyteller. He wants you to be a storyteller. He wants you to tell others about the good things that he's done in your life as we head into this upcoming week i just want to encourage you tell someone about the good things that god has done in your life and while you're at it invite them to come to easter service next sunday morning you may already know this but watch this eight out of ten people will accept an easter invitation if it's given yeah That means if you invite 10 people, there's a high probability, according to outreach.com's statistic, (laughs) right, that eight of them could come. Maybe you're thinking, well, Chris, I don't know that I'm quite ready to share my story with others yet. Well, that's okay. Uh, Just invite them to church, and whenever they come next week, I can promise you that they're going to hear the greatest story ever told. As a matter of fact, I thought I was praying just this week. My team's just now hearing this for the first time. I was like, Lord, what direction am I going for Easter? And I heard this, tell the greatest story ever told. I figured that's pretty fitting for a storyteller series. Come on, somebody. But I just want to ask, who's here this morning and your story has yet to intersect with God's story? And what I mean is, you've not yet surrendered your life to Jesus. Friends, I want you to know that there is absolutely nothing, nothing on this planet that is greater than living your life for Jesus Christ. Hear me and stay with me on this. You can have the greatest job in the world. You can have plenty of money in the bank. You can have your health. You can have great Friends in your life, hey, nothing wrong with all these things. But friends, I can promise you that those things alone, they will not satisfy. Why? Because you and I, we were created to be in relationship with God. And no amount of good things can take the place of that. See, I think this is where it's hard for people to come to Christ in our nation because we think, well, I've got everything I need. And inadvertently, we may not ever like communicate it or say it, but yet we, I think we think it deep down inside. Do I really need God? Well, I can assure you, yes, you do. You do. And I'm going to give you two simple reasons. One is because only God can satisfy the longing of your heart. Only God can give hope. Only God can give peace. Only God can bring about joy hey these are things that the world cannot give you and then the second reason simple reason is you need god because friends life there's life after death like we think that you know you only live one life that's not true actually you live more than one life you live a life throughout eternity and you need to understand this and man i feel like in the church we we we've pushed hell off to the side, and we got to understand that like we're going to spend eternity in one or two places. You are going to spend eternity in one or two places. And here's the thing: they'll think, "Well, I'll get all that taken care of." You know what? I'm a pretty healthy guy, Pastor Daniel. And I go to the gym five days a week. My wife, you close your eyes and stick your hand in her cupboard, and everything in there is organic. We were healthy people. Are you following with me? Not only that, it doesn't have to be tumors that show up, but all it takes. had some numb skull almost pull out right in front of me yesterday, and it would have been a bad enough wreck. It would have took us both out, right? We never know when we're going to breathe our last breath. I can assure you of that, friend. None of you are promised another day. I'm not promised another day. Hebrews 9, 27 says, just as a man is appointed to die once, after that, face a judgment. It's my job as a shepherd to get you to think about this and to consider this. Heaven and hell is a reality. And the devil has sold even people within the church. It's one thing for the world to say there's no hell. They don't believe there's no heaven either. They don't believe anything. They just believe in themselves. But even within the church, there's been those that have been deceived into and, and trying to, Francis Chan wrote a great book about it called Erasing Hell, speaking against some of the universalists that are out there saying, oh, it's just love wins. Yeah, I'm talking about Rob Bell. I don't care. He's teaching false doctrine, and he's a false prophet. There's no universalism. There's Jesus. Jesus. And we're either going to put our faith in him, and that's the only way we're going to go to heaven, or we will spend eternity in hell. Now, watch this in case you're thinking, I'm still kind of on the fence and trying to understand this. Well, okay, guess what? There are 162. I did the work for you, but go ahead and follow up my work. There are 162 references in the New Testament alone, which warns of hell. And over 70 of those references were spoken by Jesus. So that's fine if you don't want to believe this preacher. You better believe what the Son of God has to say and what his word says. <laughs> Listen to me. Oh, but pastor, I believe in Jesus. I, I like, I believe Jesus. I, I know, I'm not putting my faith in Confucius. I'm, you know what? The devil believes in Jesus. I'm saying, are you a follower of his? Do you know that the scripture says in Matthew 26, many are going to say, to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus responds by saying this, and I will say to them, you know, I never knew you, workers of iniquity. Depart from me. Jesus put emphasis on two things. One, he says, I never knew you. Jesus, says, we didn't have a relationship. Like, I knew you, like, agreed, like, in your cerebral cortex that Jesus is Lord, but we didn't have a relationship. We never spent time together. I didn't know you. Then he says, depart from me, workers of iniquity. How you live your life matters. Holiness matters to God. Don't think that you can live however you want to live and expect that you're going to make it to heaven. Friends, like, you don't have to take my word for it. I double dog dare you read the Bible about that and see what it has to say and not what some best selling author has to say about Christianity. Hear what God himself has to say. Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And friends, it's only the heart that is surrendered to God that has made him your Lord. And he's either to be Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He cannot be number three in your life, friend. Can't do it. Doesn't work that way. And I, I know there are going to be so many people, because Jesus said that it's going to happen, that's going to stand before him and think that they're good and they're not good. They're not going to make it to heaven. My friend, you're alive. And your pulse it's proof that you have purpose. And the purpose for your life is to be in a relationship with God. That's the way, reason he created you. But you know where that starts? It starts with surrendering your heart to him. It starts with saying, I'm not going to live for the things of this world. I'm not going to live for my own plans. Lord, my plans become your plans. My story intersects with your great story, not just out here doing our own thing. I feel it in my heart. I feel it in my heart oftentimes on Sundays, but I feel in my heart that there's someone that there's several someone's that God is tugging on your heart. You have yet you've heard me make this altar call. Some of you many 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 times, and you keep saying no. And it breaks my heart because, friend, I know one day I'm going to come up here and I'm going to look, and that seat that I look where that person sits, they're no longer going to be there. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden it as Pharaoh, but listen. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man come in, I will come in. I will dine with him and he with me. If Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart to surrender your heart to him for salvation, to put your faith in what he did, the finished work of the cross, the spilled blood of Jesus by which only the only way that man can be saved There's no other name given under heaven in which men must be saved. And you heard me say must. That's what the word of God says. But by the name of Jesus. Some of you need to put your faith in Jesus. I'm not going to say, is there some of you? I know there are some of you. You need to put your faith in Jesus. You need to take it off of the faith of the things in this world. Take it off of your wonderful job. How much money you've got in your bank account. All your great friends and connections and your health. Thank God he's given you those things. Who do you think gave you those things? Huh? Every good and perfect gift comes from heaven above. Man, oh, you should be worshiping God. You should be praising him. You should be thanking him. But it starts with saying, I put my faith in you, Jesus. I'm going to ask right now. And just because I don't like the head bowed, eyes closed thing, no one looking around, don't want to embarrass anyone because God knows this is an embarrassing thing, right? If you're not going to put your faith in Jesus right here, you sure won't do it once you get out into the world. But if you say, I want to be a Christian, and many of you in here have already done it. How many of you have already given your life to Jesus Christ? Put your hand up. Look how many people have prayed this prayer before. Okay, you guys put your hands down. Now, here's what I want to ask. I want to ask who says, man, I want to give it right now. I'm not going to ask you to come up here. We're not going to put the microphone in your hand. I just want you right now, and I'll lead you in prayer. And those of you that are online can do the same thing. But you say, I want to put my faith 100% in Jesus Christ. Not 80%, not 60%, but today. Today is the day of salvation. If that's you, I want you to put your hand up right now. Put it up. Put it up, and we're going to pray. I am not looking around this room believing that there, it's everyone in here is 100% right with God. I know better. I know better. I'm going to wait for a minute, and then we're going to move on. You can respond, but I know that I know that I know that I know. Friend, don't wait. For those of you online, I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to lead in prayer because I know that there may be some online that's going to watch this down the road, and I'm going to lead them in prayer if no one here raises their hand. And if it is true, it's not true, but if it is true that every single person in here is 100% right with God, then friend, get people here that don't know Jesus next week. Eight out of ten will accept an invitation. You don't have to say nothing other than, hey, friend, you know what? Invite them to come out to eat. If you don't have money to take them out to eat, I will pay for their meal so you can take them out. And say, hey, come with me to my church. I'll take you out to eat afterwards. And you may see. A son or a daughter coming to the kingdom. And you may see a life change by you just sending an invitation. Say, that's heavy, Chris. Now, I'm challenging you, church, because I believe that's my job as a pastor and a shepherd. Let's win this city. I need your help. I can't do it on my own. Pastor Daniel and I, we can't do it. We need you. We need the body of Christ to do every, everyone's got their part. So I'm going to lead in prayer because I'm trusting that if there's not someone here, I'm hopeful that that they will respond, but I'm also believing that someone on this video at some point will pray. So I'm gonna ask right now for everyone to join in with us for those who say, yeah, I want that prayer. I I wanna give my life to Jesus Christ. Pray this out loud with me. Pray, Lord Jesus, I confess my need for a savior. I ask you, Jesus, to be my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from them. Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. And that you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave. And now I want to live my life to know you and to make you known. In Jesus' name. Amen.